Officers Association of Michigan podcast radio show recorded live in our studios in Redford, Michigan. Home is a full-service labor organization formed to provide every labor-related service from negotiations, grievance processing, legal and legislative representation to Act 312 arbitrations. I'm Ed Jocks, the Services Director for the Police Officers Association of Michigan. And I'm here today with Frank Guido, who has served as general counsel to the organization since 1985. You know, the Police Officers Association of Michigan prides itself on being the only statewide law enforcement bargaining agent in Michigan, and actually one of the few in the country that utilizes a staff of full-time in-house attorneys. Mr. Guido specializes in collective bargaining, contract administration, grievance arbitration, unfair labor practice proceedings, administrative, criminal defense matters. Uh, he has argued successfully in numerous labor matters in the Michigan Supreme Court and also uh, to the Michigan Court of Appeals. Frank has also lectured on behalf of the National Association of Police Organizations, NAPO, the Michigan Employment Relations Commission, Merck, and the Michigan Municipal Risk uh, Management Authority concerning labor and criminal law matters, including Garrity rights. Mr. Guido is acknowledged as the prominent expert on PARA, that's the Public Employees Relation Act, and public employment labor law. Thanks for joining us, Frank. Thank you, uh, Ed. Generally, what is the law enforcement officer's Garrity right? Well, Ed, uh, let's start with the definition of the right and then talk of the origin of the right and its legal underpinning, if we could. Uh, Garrity can be summarized as follows. When an officer is compelled to produce information the information produced is protected from use against the officer in a criminal proceeding if the officer invokes the protection of the Fifth Amendment. The employer is prohibited from compelling the officer to waive assertion of the protection of the Fifth Amendment, and the information may only be used against the officer in an internal proceeding. As such, the Garrity right must be interpreted as consisting of two principles protection for an officer and prohibition against an employer. And both of those principles are triggered when compulsion occurs. Now, the Garrity protection arises, meaning that an officer has the right to assert the Fifth Amendment privilege to protect information given from use against the officer in a criminal proceeding when, as I said, compulsion exists. Compulsion is present. When the employer has ordered production of information under a threat of discipline or other employment sanction, once this compulsion occurs, the officer has the right to invoke the Fifth Amendment. But the prohibition also arises when compulsion occurs, and this is a prohibition that is triggered against an employer's action. In this context, compulsion uh, is different as it's determined by whether the employer has ordered an officer under threat of discipline to waive or in essence give up assertion of the Fifth Amendment. So in this situation we have compulsion being an employer ordering an officer 
under threat of discipline to waive or give or give up assertion of the privilege. The prohibition is that the employer is legally prohibited from this form of compulsion as it it cannot, as an employer, order an officer under threat of discipline to waive the immunity or the protection of the asserted Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination with respect to a submitted statement, report, or answers to questions. Okay, Mrs. Symbol, we are all set. You are the proud owner of a new vehicle. I hope that the buying experience was nice and easy for you. <laughs> so Piggy got a 9.95 oil change. <laughs> Get a 2010 Chevy Traverse for $2.99 a month or a new Chevy Malibu for just $1.99 a month. Who loves ya? Uh, Frank, you talked about under threat of discipline. Or um, does the officer or the union rep that's present with the officer at the time have to ask that question to trigger it? Or is just not answering a question, is it automatically assumed that uh, there's going to be discipline for not uh, answering? Well, you've touched on one of the more sensitive evidentiary issues that arises in the Garrity type of cases. Uh, PLM has prided itself on always being very proactive in terms of decisions on when Garrity can and cannot be invoked. We advocate that employees make sure, this is either through the employee himself or through a union representative or perhaps even an attorney acting in the capacity of a, of a representative in a given situation, making sure that there is a order, which is clear, that the individual is to give information, and that also there is a threat of employment sanction, be it discharge, suspension, removal from a shift, or some other form of sanction, so that the Garrity right can clearly be and appropriately be invoked. We get into an evidentiary problem when there are orders to give information and then we don't hear the magic words, in essence, that if you don't do it, you could be sanctioned. And that's what leads to a lot of the uh, more difficult cases under Garrity where scrutiny of whether or not the threat aspect, the second part of compulsion, is present. We eliminate at POAM, we eliminate that problem because we are going to go to that supervisor, we're going to grab them, and we're going to put them on the spot. Are we being ordered to give this information? And if we don't comply, can we, will be, be disciplined? And when we hear the response, and if the response is yes, uh, you are ordered, and yes, you may be disciplined, then we know we can invoke with security the Garrity protection. Uh, some of the other organizations across the state, I, I am aware, do not go to that extent of being proactive, and that's what leads to problems in cases. Does the employer have any control in the Garrity process? Yes, the employer does. Uh, the control that the employer possesses is to make that initial decision as to whether compulsion occurs. The employer has to decide if it is ordering the individual to give information and whether it is associating with that order some employment sanction threat. If the employer 
does that, then the guarantee right comes to pass. It is not for the employer to decide for the individual whether to invoke the guarantee protection. That is reserved to the individual. The employer's role in the process, the employer's control, so to speak, in the process is that initial determination of whether it is ordering information be provided and threatening some form of sanction. Once that happens, then the ball, so to speak, is in the employee's court to invoke the guarantee right. And that is a source of confusion many times. Employers perceive, we give you guarantee, you can't invoke it, and that is completely wrong. That misunderstands that the employer's role or control is the aspect of compulsion, but the actual invocation of the right is reserved to the employee. How does the guarantee procedure work? Uh, probably an example would be best uh, to give here to show procedurally how it is put into effect. Let's take a, a shooting example, shooting right. situation. Uh, officer is back at the station. He may have an incident report to do, a supplemental report. Uh, there may be required uh, uh, shots fired type report. Internal affairs might be there ready to ask uh, uh, questions, whether they uh, are written answers or verbal answers. All of those things might occur in that kind of a situation. All of those things represent production of information by the individual. So it is our role as the representatives of the individual to assist the person in making sure that they assert their guarantee right. The procedure at hand for the individual is to make sure that compulsion has first occurred. So what will happen literally is the employee can do this again or this, or the union rep can do this or the attorney who may be there serving as a union representative on, uh, in an incident, a critical incident such as a shooting is going to make sure that there is compulsion, that there is that order with threat of sanction before the individual gives the information. And then procedurally, the individual should invoke the guarantee right. We recommend that they use the form that POAM uh, has. It is found in the membership card. It is also on our website. There's an actual form that you can uh, download. Well, and Frank, I, I, let me interject. You have done numerous articles in the Law Enforcement Journal. You've done uh, a lot of seminars for our uh, newer associations and some of the, uh, the more veterans associations that have been uh, affiliated with POAM on this very, very subject. So there's, there's all kinds of stuff on our website as well, too, that you've written and, yeah. and capsulized some of this information as well, too. That is correct. Um, when should the Garrity protection be asserted? I mean, we talk about critical incidents and shootings, but... Uh, that, that can't be the only situation where guarantee needs to be exerted. I think if we use the terminology of critical incident, we're, we're trying to capture those more significant matters uh, like shootings, uh, use of force situations, uh, pursuits uh, with vehicles in which someone may be injured. Those are the circumstances that, you know, the, the, the flag should go up, the flares should go off that tell you be cautious and protect your statement with assertion of the guarantee protect, uh, protection uh, after compulsion by the employer. We don't necessarily want to see guarantee being asserted on your run-of-the-mill day-to-day kind of report. Uh, you have to use common sense, but uh, certainly uh, err on the side of caution and when in doubt, 
avail yourself of your union representation. Contact yeah. your business agent uh, who can always be in touch with uh, POM Legal Counsel to give proper instruction in a given case. How can we help you at LaFontaine Cadillac today? Why should I buy here? Oh, we are one of Michigan's largest Cadillac dealers. We offer our clients a salon, a concierge, a free pickup and delivery service right to your door. Shh. You had me at salon. Cadillac SRX starting at $355 a month. CTS starting at $299. Yeah, really. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the POAM podcast radio show. Each and every month, you can find every single podcast online on Apple iTunes. Just search for POAM. They're also available for download or for live listen on our website. Visit us at POAM.net. Get on our newsletter and send us all of your comments and suggestions for future shows. You talk about... uh uh, statements and, and reports. Are police reports actually statements? Because we talk about protected, uh, I don't want to say protected speech, but uh, exerting your rights uh, when you are answering questions or making statements. Is a police report a statement? You know, there is a concept out there that somehow a, a statement means one thing, a report means another thing, and that somehow those, or in some way, those different labels have some significance in application to the Garrity right. They do not. The key with the Garrity protection is the transmittal of information. So call it a statement, call it a report, call it uh, written answers to questions. It doesn't matter what form the transmittal of information comes in. All of those forms of information are worthy of protection under Garrity if the trigger exists if compulsion, compulsion is present. Yep. Okay. So now you talked about uh, not getting overboard and, and exerting Garrity every time uh, somebody asks you a question at the department or a supervisor asks you a question. But there are circumstances that maybe appear innocent or um, uh, not uh, fit the, the definition of critical. But I, I guess police officers' radar should be going off on some of those situations. And if they're not sure, should they exert that Garrity uh, privilege on every report that that isn't mundane or routine? Well, if yeah, every report that is not just the routine, okay. uh, you certainly should be cautious. Uh, I would recommend that if there is certainly a question that you ask uh, POM representatives for assistance uh, it is it is of no harm to you to assert your Garrity protection if you have gone to the employer and have said to them, am I being ordered to do the support? Can I be disciplined? And if they say yes, then you have the right uh, to assert the protection. Is, uh, the, is the privilege uh, applicable to all public employees? It is. Oh, okay. uh, the Garrity case itself uh, made very clear that it applies to all members of the body politic. And, uh, in fact, uh, there was a subsequent uh, sanitation men decision of the Supreme Court that dealt with non-law enforcement. And there have been many cases in the Garrity progeny, as we call it, that have dealt with circumstances other than police officers for which the right has uh, equally been applied. So uh, it's very clear that uh, once uh, Garrity is exerted, uh, that that information uh, cannot be used against that officer in a criminal proceeding. But... Uh, in the course of that statement, can one officer's 
protected Garrity statement be used against another officer in a criminal proceeding? Yes. Garrity protects use of the statement against the individual providing the information. So if I'm the one writing a report or giving a statement or however you want to characterize it, and I've asserted my Garrity protection, the assurance of the law of the constitutional protection of the Fifth Amendment through the Fourteenth Amendment is that it can't be used against me in a criminal proceeding. That does not prohibit its use against any other individuals. For uh, maybe some other people that are doing research on this or maybe even want to prove their case to their supervisors, because, uh, you know, we, we, we get this quite a bit at the office where uh, uh, members will call and say, uh, my supervisor says that they have the right to uh, give me Garrity and, and, and other type of nonsense like that. Is there a particular landmark case that, you know, some Michigan officers uh, can look to um, you know, for guidance in ruling on appropriate Garrity application? Well, there's no greater source, of course, than the Garrity case itself. It had a wealth of uh, statements in it by the Supreme Court. Uh, for New Jersey, right. right? Did we? Yeah. Garrity versus New Jersey. And when we say the Garrity right, the interesting fact is it's merely the case name. Right. Uh, there's nothing unique about Garrity other than the fact that it happened to be the, the case name. And that's uh, a, that was, was Officer Garrity, right? I think it was the, the, was the, or chief, the chief, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah. so... Uh, th- that's the that's the origin of, of Garrity itself. But subsequent cases uh, have further expanded the right. In Michigan, and of course we are in, uh, we are subject to decisions of the United States Supreme Court. Our, our area falls under the uh, jurisdiction of the uh, Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals and also the uh, district courts, the federal district courts. Right. And right here in our location, the Eastern District, of Michigan, but then again, also the Michigan Supreme Court Court of Appeals, uh, they have uh, parallel application of these uh, cases as well. We, however, with POIM, can also point directly to a case that we were involved in, uh, which was POIM versus County of Livingston, uh, Livingston County Sheriff. You argued that case. I argued yeah. that case uh, in the federal district court, and we obtained on the eve of trial a consent judgment signed by the then uh, Chief Judge Lawrence Zatkoff. I, I prepared the uh, the judgment uh, for execution, and it was it was signed by the court and signed off on by the parties uh, without change. And in essence, this judgment lays out step-by-step not only the right under Garrity, under the constitutional protections, but also then the actual procedure of how it should be implemented, which which parallels directly our recommended process as found in our membership card and as found on our website in the appropriate form. Yeah, any kind of member or even management can go to our website and pull off all the pertinent information, including that particular case, I believe, and actually print it. That is correct. There's actually a printable Garrity form uh, on the website as well, too. I know that's on there. been on there for a while. Correct. You know, Frank, um, other splinter police groups and wannabe police labor attorneys have tried to make their mark by offering conflicting information about the Garrity right. Can you comment on that? The problem that we have noticed over the last several years is that because of our very proactive leadership role in Garrity Matters, 
some of these other organizations, and as you have called them, splinter groups or uh, wannabe uh, police labor. Brand X guys, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the difficulty is that they, they have missed the point with how to properly handle Garrity situations. They, they, have, they have instead tried to always raise concerns with membership over how Garrity is being applied in current cases and have missed the more fundamental point, which is we never have to have a problem as evolves in some of the case law if the procedure is handled in the way POAM advocates, which is making sure that the compulsion is present, making sure that we've got an order, making sure that we know there is a threat of a sanction, and then there is no dispute that the Garrity right was properly invoked. If more focus from these other organizations and attorneys was on instruction for their membership and how to do the procedure properly, then they wouldn't be trying, I would think, to make a name based on uh, sending up uh, unnecessary concerns for uh, the membership regarding some of the uh, case law that comes out that, that deals with more of the fringe evidentiary kind of problems that can occur when we don't have proper compulsion uh, review taking place. Well, here, I've got a good one for you, Frank. Now, if an officer is on a multi-jurisdictional task force, can he or she be ordered to give a statement? And uh, do they have the right to invoke Garrity at that point? The only individual who can compel an employee to speak is the employer of that individual. Where officers are on these multi-jurisdictional task force groups, uh, sometimes the, the head of the group may be from another department, maybe let's say from the Michigan State Police. That individual cannot order an, a person to give information under threat of an employment sanction such that the Garrity right would be present because that's not the employer. He's not the employer. He does not have the ability to terminate that person's employment or to suspend them from their employment or to take other employment sanction against them. They may be able to boot them off their task force. Right. They may but, make but some that, other veiled threats. That is threats, a different but. creature from the employment sanction. Now, correspondingly, our members don't have an obligation either to give information when someone attempts to issue them an order and the person is not their, in fact, employer. Right. So it goes both ways. Uh, you may not have the right to invoke the Garrity protection because of, of the uh, absence of an employer, but correspondingly, you don't lose then, then any of your full Fifth Amendment right to remain silent because that individual is not in a position uh, in an internal matter to order the employee, the individual, to give any kind of information because it's not, in fact, that particular employer-employee relationship. Now, listen, I'm not a lawyer, and I try not to give out legal advice, but let's just say something happened. Uh, uh, for instance, let's just say we had an uh, uh, altercation in a jail with a corrections officer, and uh, the sheriff's department or the administration says, well, we're going to have the state police uh, you know, uh, conduct an investigation. Uh, seems to me then, if the state police come in and and want to ask questions, at that point we just uh, a member uh, would exercise their right to refuse to answer those questions. Well, part of our process is to make sure that the uh, bringing in, so to speak, of let's say the state police is being 
undertaken for criminal investigation purposes. If it is, then yes, we're talking a different creature. If it is an entirely criminal-based investigation, then we're not talking about Garrity situations. We're talking about the full, unfettered Fifth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment right. right to remain silent in the face of that kind of inquiry. Frank, there's uh, recent legislation that impacts some issues surrounding Garrity. Can you share some information on the legislative process and its final effect? Yes, in 2006, the legislature enacted uh, a law which codifies the Garrity right for law enforcement officers. It does not extend beyond law enforcement officers to other uh, public employees. It was this particular legislation was limited uh, to law enforcement officers. What is interesting with this legislation is really more so its creation. Uh, POAM was asked uh, to take a look at an original draft of the legislation, which, which to our understanding was prepared in part by uh, uh, some other labor organizations through their legal counsel. Unfortunately, when I reviewed uh, uh, the proposed draft, it was, it was at best a mess. Uh, it was uh, extremely uh, confused and confusing regarding uh, the simple assertion of, of the fundamental right itself. Uh, so we drafted uh, language to clarify the definition in line with the, uh, the definition that I gave uh, when we first started speaking here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the important thing that came of that, however, was that I was able to put in the language uh, that we are talking about information being requested from an individual. And that was critical because it got us out from under the, you know, the banter back and forth of, well, report versus statement versus something else. And so we made it clear in this legislation that when we're talking about the Garrity right by statute that it pertains to any form of information that the employer solicits uh, by order and threat uh, from an individual. And correspondingly, the definition also makes clear that we're talking about more than just a termination type of threat, that it can be any employment sanction as well. So the statute uh, gives us another layer of protection, but clearly uh, the uh, case law uh, evolution of, of Garrity and its progeny still stands as the uh, the first and uh, foremost uh, uh, basis of protection. Well, you know, we, we have some very, very strong relationships with some employers uh, in the state, many employers in the state, and that's generally rooted in the employer uh, bringing the union on or at least communicating with the union on, on policy and procedure matters and things like that. Have we or you worked uh, with any employers? Have any employers tried to formulate policy regarding Garrity with input from POAM and, and the, the local units? We were asked... Who's couple, we? We being POAM. POAM. And, and, and I, I suppose specifically myself, uh, were asked uh, a few years back to assist uh, the Michigan Municipal Risk Management Authority in providing training for employer representatives. Isn't that, is, is that the group that insure or acts as, uh, it provides coverage to the municipalities? It is the largest Michigan uh, organization that provides the risk management risk, type okay. insurance protection insurance, yeah. for public employers. So it's a, it is an entirely public employer organization. And we were asked to speak 
to uh, across the states, uh, a number of different uh, locations, to uh, public employers. Uh, these were, you know, administrators, uh, county, city, township, village level, along with representatives, management level from law enforcement agencies, to instruct them as to the Garrity right, the procedure of how it is properly applied. Uh, and uh, and the reception w- w- was good. Uh, the employers uh, seemed to uh, uh, understand uh, our assertion. Uh, there were, of course, uh, uh, some individuals who who wanted to go back to all the old style kind of arguments th- about employer uh, giving Garrity, and uh, we were able to make it clear to them that you know those old views are are are, are not even remotely correct, and therefore. You know, follow what we're telling you because we're telling you what is uh, rooted in uh, in the law. So we had that opportunity and uh, we undertook it. We've also had an opportunity to speak at the Staff and Command School uh, at Eastern Michigan yep. University. We've been asked to uh, appear there and uh, did so last uh, summer to give further instruction to uh, uh, existing and prospective uh, management level personnel for law enforcement agencies, giving them the same kind of uh information regarding what Garrity is and how it's properly applied. Yeah. Frank, I really appreciate your time today and you know all the work that you've put in on this issue. And uh, you know, you've certainly offered some significant protection for police officers and uh, you're just relentless in getting that information out to our members. So I want to encourage our members to go to POAM.net. Everything that Frank referred to is on the site. There's a printable Garrity form there. All the legal cases are there. Um, Continue to listen to podcasts on other issues uh, that are important to POEM and other union members. The Law Enforcement Journal uh, is going to be coming out May 1st, and we do some unfair, uh, we highlighted some unfair labor practices that we prevailed on and another important arbitration on uh, take-home vehicles and some other issues. So I want to encourage members to stay informed uh, specifically on this issue because it is key, and it can be a career ender and it can be a, a family breaker if they don't uh, apply the Garrity privilege properly. Uh, I also want to encourage members and other listeners to uh, feel free uh, on the website to contact us and give us comments about uh, the podcast so far or the website or the journal, anything uh, that can help us improve uh, how we get information and service our members. And if there's some questions or topics that you would like us to uh uh, to investigate and, and highlight on our show or in any one of our other communication vehicles, please let us know. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another edition of the POAM Podcast Radio Show. I want to remind you that each and every month you can find every single podcast online on Apple iTunes. Just search for POAM. They're also available for download or for live listen on our website. Visit us at POAM.net. Get on our newsletter and send us all of your comments and suggestions for future shows. shows.